welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as you can tell from the slide behind me, we're starting our new series today. And it's called Dead Man Walking. And it's a series that's going to go for four weeks, eight parts. And it's a series about Jesus' journey to the cross. According to the Gospel of John. And it's going to culminate on Resurrection Sunday. I'm really looking forward to this. The title, Dead Man Walking, reflects that while Jesus was alive, he was very much dead. Dead to his own ideas, dead to his own thoughts, dead to his own will, dead to his own ways. In other words, he lived a consecrated life. The Bible says that Jesus only ever did what he saw his father doing. Christianity 101 is about us following the example of Christ. You may have been told that you're a Christian because you were born in Australia. And Australia is a Christian nation, not true. You may have been told that because you were born into a family that went to church that you are a Christian. That is not true. Christianity is about a surrendered life. When you give your life to Christ, it starts in surrender. And it must be lived in surrender. And just as Jesus was a man who was full of life, he was very much dead. This is the paradox of the kingdom of God. This is the upside down nature of the kingdom. Jesus said, I will give you life and I'll give you life with a capital L. Life to the full, life abundant. <laughs> but to get that life, you've got to die. What? That's Christianity. And Jesus was full of life full of power, full of grace, full of majesty. And yet he surrendered his life to the will of the Father on a daily basis. And as, as a result, obedience and power flowed from his life. It is my prayer and the prayer of all those that are sharing throughout this series that we may learn from the life of Christ. And that we would have the Word of God as the decision maker in our life. Too many Christians make decisions based upon their hurt, their feelings, their opinion. But as Pete Howe Brown said last week, we've got to allow theology to be our backup. We've got to allow a theology to teach us and lead us and guide us. Everything we do 
And everything we say and everything we are should be governed by the Word of God. I don't know if Pete said this when we were at home with the kids or at one of our meetings. He said, when an adult gives a child a banana and the adult holds on to it and doesn't let it go until the child says, thank you, we are teaching that child worship. We're teaching them gratitude. We're teaching them to be appreciative, and I love that. It's a theological issue. We don't want our kids just to say, please and thank you, so we look good like, uh, like good parents. That's not the purpose of it. We don't teach our kids to say please and thank you to make our lives easier as parents, although it will. But that's not the purpose. The purpose we want to teach them, the ways of God. And I trust that this series will help us to do that. And so this series is going to kick off today, starting with a triumphal entry, otherwise known as Palm Sunday. And it's an event that took place five days before Jesus died. And to introduce our series, the skit guys are going to come up here and kickstart us. So please welcome the skit guys to the platform. Ah, who's had a conversation like that with somebody? Excellent. And that's why we meet together week after week after week to just explain ourselves again and again and again, which is awesome. Part one of our Dead Man Walking series, I've entitled Jesus Honoured. And we are going to turn to the Word of God, to the book of John, and read the account in case you're confused based on what you've just seen today. John chapter 12 Verse 12 says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had been done, done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb had raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. With every account in the Word of God around the story and the life of Christ, there's something for us to take from it. There's something for us to learn from it. And that's what I trust we will do this morning. The first thing I want to draw your attention to is this. What is a triumphal entry? What actually is it? To help you understand in today's modern society, 
It would be the equivalent of a ticker tape parade. Remember when Geelong won the grand final last year in the AFL? And they went back to their hometown and they had this cavalcade, this ticker tape parade where people just flocked out into the streets and they just sang their praises over the Geelong Football Club. You remember that? You you don't. You do. Remember when we have an Olympic year, like this year is an Olympic year, and the Olympians return back home, having had the golden spoils in their hand, and they have this cavalcade, and people come out and they sing praises over their heroes. Yay, this, yay, that, they've got a gold medal, go Australia. This is kind of what's happening here. And it was in a time where the Roman Empire was at its strongest. And the Romans were renowned for their triumphant processions. Whenever a Roman governor returned from battle, having gained new territory, and get this, having killed at least 5,000 of the enemy, they would have these incredible grand processions whereby the governor, the general of the army would be in a chariot and all of Rome would turn out and sing praises to the general, his army and the victory that was won. It was so great. It was so overwhelming that it's been recorded that in the chariot that the general was in, there would be a slave holding a golden wreath over the head of the general. And he would be whispering into the ear of the general, you are only a man. 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 Because when you're in the thick of this procession, you can lose perspective of your reality and your mortality. And it was in this, in this environment, in this time, that Jesus finds himself in the midst of a triumphal entry, albeit a poor man's version of a Roman procession which is typical of Jesus and his first coming. I can imagine the Romans, they're not mentioned in this account of John, but I can imagine the Romans looking on and just sniggering to themselves, thinking, triumphal entry, really? This is pathetic. Palm branches, where's the gold? Donkey? Really? A donkey? Where's the white horse and the chariot? Such is the nature of Christ. Everything about Jesus' first coming is saturated in humility and obedience. This King, this Lord, this Messiah, this Saviour comes as a babe in the manger. I mean, this flies in the face of the prosperity gospel. I've been a Christian now for three months and I'm not rich yet. 
I've been a Christian for three years. I got a flat tire the other day. Where's God? But it's not what Jesus came for. It's not what he came to model. He was born in humble circumstances. A babe in a manger. Couldn't even get a place in a crummy inn. Right throughout his life. Leading up to his death. This Messiah, this King. This Lord of glory. This one we worship. This one we've been singing to. Rides in. On a donkey. To palm branches. Humble and understated. And this is the Christ. This is Jesus who came to love on the world. Let everything we do and everything we say and everything we understand about God be backed up with good theology. So what was the purpose then of this procession, this celebration, this entry? If that's what it was, what's the purpose of it? And I believe the triumphant entry has two major implications. The first, as we've already seen, according to our skit guys, that it was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is an amazing thing. This was the only time that Jesus made an open announcement that he was indeed the king of Israel. It was the only time that he would allow it. And he allowed it that prophecy would be fulfilled. That every word that was spoken, albeit hundreds of years prior, would be fulfilled to the letter. God is a God of detail. God is a God that cares in the detail. And he cares in the detail of your life and my life. It was an open display of his kingship and people got on board and they laid down their garments. They waved palm branches, which were symbols of peace and victory. And they quoted from the scriptures. I love that. They quoted from Psalm 118, verse 26. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna. I love that. Isn't it amazing? We live in a world where people think the churches should be quiet. And here they are shouting. There's no such thing as a quiet shout. By nature, if it's quiet, it's not a shout. People say, oh, just turn the music down. God's not deaf. 
Of course he's not. But I didn't see Jesus complaining. I was shouting, it's just too loud. They shouted. These Middle Eastern people that come all over the world shouting and throwing dust in the air and waving palm branches and laying down their cloaks and Jesus is embracing it all. You can't be too loud. You can't be too passionate. You can't be too boisterous when it comes to serving God and worshipping Him. You might not like it. It might be too loud for your ears. But don't ever stop the shout in somebody else. Hear me, older people. Don't ever rob the younger ones of their joy. If there are moments in our meeting that are just a little bit too loud for you, quickly and quietly, put in your little earplugs. Protect your hearing. Protect your ears. Do that. But please don't make a statement. Earplugs versus earmuffs. Don't bring out the earmuffs. (laughs) Earplugs, because it's hurting your ears. And then enjoy the celebration of the younger ones. And then when the music subsides, it's a little bit quieter. Take those earbuds and continue worshipping. And again, I feel so privileged because that is what takes place here week after week. We have some people who just have to leave the auditorium for a couple of songs because it's just too loud. And they leave with a good attitude to come back in and worship again. I love that. That's the way it should be. But don't ever say that there's such a thing as too loud. These guys are shouting, worshipping. Hosanna! (laughs) Shut up, too loud. Not from Jesus. It's awesome. And the second major implication is this. Firstly, the fulfillment of prophecy. Secondly, it was to force, and I loved it, I love this, I love, I love, I love this bit. It was to force the hand of the religious leaders. See, there are other times when the people try to worship Jesus. There were other times they wanted to take him and make him king, and Jesus wouldn't allow it. This was the only time he allowed public worship and celebration of him and his kingship. It's the only time. And it had its purpose and its place in Jesus getting to the cross. Jesus is in total control here in allowing this event to happen. And Jesus is in total control of every circumstance and situation in your life. Will you trust him? Jesus came to planet earth for one purpose and one purpose only and that was to die and in allowing this procession to take place he knew he was forcing the next move of the religious leaders by allowing himself to go public and embracing and endorsing the celebration of his kingship he knew that would tick the religious leaders off. Jesus and religion never mix. You've got to get this. When Jesus was at his angriest, there was always religious people around. 
People who thought they knew better. People who thought they had a better way. And Jesus saw the crowd, but in the crowd were religious people, religious leaders. And this act forced the religious leaders' hands. Jesus is like a master chess player. You ever watch someone, maybe live or in a movie, where someone's really good at chess, and they play a move which forces that person, the opponent, to play another move so they can play their move, for them to play that move so they can get to checkmate real quick. This is Jesus in total control. He's making a move because then they'll make this move and I will get to the cross and that's why I've come. I love that. He plays this move on Sunday and by Friday he's dead. They've played right into his hands. Jesus is in control no matter how bad it looks. I love Jesus. Unfortunately for me, I look more like the Pharisees most times. And I'm working on that with his help. Please don't just read the Bible and the stories about Christ and assume that you are Christ in the story. You religious thing, you. That's what religious people do. They always assume that they are the good guy. It's better that we take the low position and say, Father, help me with my religious, pharisaical tendencies. Don't just assume that you are Jesus in the story. You know when Jesus told stories? He says there's a guy who said, God, I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. That I tithe and I do this and I do that and I do the other. That's how he set up. And there's this other guy who beats his chest, doesn't even look at the heaven and says, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I don't know about you, but when I read that story, I want to be the guy who beats his chest and says, forgive me. As opposed to assuming that I don't need forgiveness because I'm so good now. So that's what a procession is. And that was the purpose of this triumphal entry. But what were the responses? What were some of the responses to this triumphal entry? I want to look at some of them and then we're going to break bread together. The first response I want to look at is that of the donkey. Jesus says, get me a donkey. And this donkey is more obedient than most Christians I know. He doesn't put up a fight. What I love about this is it says to us that Jesus is willing to use anyone or anything. If Jesus will use a donkey, he'll use you. Turn to the person next to you and say, if he'll use a donkey, he'll use you. So be encouraged. Got any donkeys out there? 
What I also love about this is that the donkey had enough sense to realize it's not about him. It's about what he was carrying. More to the point, it's about who he was carrying. I believe if you serve Jesus, he'll put you in some incredible places. And you'll do some incredible things. And experience some incredible blessing. But it's not about you. Can you imagine Jesus seated on this donkey, walking down this little road as the people are going crazy, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. And the donkey's like, it's me. They're talking about me. I must be the best donkey in the whole wide world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's not about the donkey. It's about who he's carrying. It's about the presence that's with him. We've lost the plot. When we fail to acknowledge that it's Christ that's opened up the door. No matter where you go in your journey, and as Pete said earlier on, It's great that God can use you anywhere. And some of you are going to make a lot of money because of the gift of God on your life. Some of you have a lot of influence because of the gift of God in life. But just remember, your purpose and your place. Can I say, be as wise as this donkey. He didn't make it about himself. He didn't fight Jesus. He didn't take the glory for himself. He just allowed himself to be a vessel used to carry the presence of God. Secondly, the crowd. The crowd was full of those that were the Passover visitors. Those that traveled long distances to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. And while I'm sure there are many, many genuine people within that group of people, I think the crowd speak to us of those that just come for big events and then just go. They come, it's exciting. No commitment, and then they go back home. Unchanged. Then there's the disciples' response. They are the ones who saw so much. They heard so much. Maybe like some of you, you've been around for years and you've seen so much. You've heard so much, like these disciples, yet now they're confused. They'd seen so much and heard so much, yet they're confused. One of the confusing things for the disciples is this. If if you're this king, this Messiah, what's all this talk of suffering? In actual fact, some Jewish theologians held to the belief that there were two messiahs to come. One that would suffer and one that would reign. 
But the truth is, Jesus would both suffer and reign. And so teach us that there can be no glory without suffering. There can be no gain without pain. There can be no crown without the cross. That was what Jesus was trying to teach him, and the disciples were confused. Following Christ doesn't always make sense. There are some situations that we are faced with which are difficult to understand, and that's where faith comes in. That's where trust is needed. And what I love about the disciples, they hang around long enough to be there for the moment when it made sense to them. And so if you're going through a tough time and you're in a confused place, I want to encourage you to hang in there, keep your eyes on Jesus, get around the right people, and sometime, I don't know when, but peace comes and confusion goes. So we can learn from the disciples. The religious leaders, there was a growing animosity that would eventually lead to the death and burial of Christ. Because they wanted God, they wanted the Messiah, they did. They knew the scriptures, but they wanted God on their own terms. And when they saw Jesus riding in on a cop, all they were worried about is what's he going to do? What's he going to mess, how is he going to mess things up? Going to mess our little religious system up. Going to mess my little world up. When you invite Jesus into your life, he's going to mess your world up. I thank God that he did not show me everything that he had in store for me. We say, God, show me. Don't pray that. You don't want to know. As a 15-year-old guy that was fresh out of school, doing what I love, sign writing, making money, I was having the time of my life. Little did I know by the age of 25, I'd be planning a church. If you had told me that at 15, I would not have been a happy man. You told Norm that he was going to be in church and then actually put his hand up one su- Sunday. He said, you've got rocks in your head. In actual fact, I probably would have tried to do everything I could to get out of reaching 25. But God has messed with my world. But before he messed with my world, he messed with my heart. And little by little, slowly but surely, my heart started to change. My heart started to change. My heart started to change. My vision started to change. My thinking started to change. And I found myself in a place I never thought I would ever be. Religion has God on its own terms. Christianity is about following Christ on his terms. Jesus is not going to become more like you. You've got to know that. He wants us to become more like him. 
One of the reasons I love Jesus is that he didn't dance for the religious people. And that's why they killed him. I just had this thought that if you don't kill the flesh, you'll kill the Christ in you. And my last little thought as the musicians please come was Jesus' response. In Luke chapter 19, we see that Jesus actually responds in this way, with tears. He actually responds with tears. Because the people wanted peace. That was the symbol of the palm rock. They wanted peace. But Jesus knew what lay ahead. And what lay ahead was war and destruction. And the reason there was war and destruction is because there can be no peace when there is no king. And Jesus knew his fate, he knew his destination, that he was about to die. And they were about to kill the very one that could bring peace. And so Jesus weeps, because without a king, there can be no peace. This world, regardless of its beliefs, is in turmoil for the most part. Kidding themselves, fooling themselves that they're having the time of their lives. Busying themselves, partying themselves, getting drunk, doing drugs, sleeping around, anything. To fill the void of a perfect peace. You might have moments of joy, moments of happiness when you're doing something you like, but you'll never have this peace without a king. It's not until you receive this king that peace comes. The Bible says he's the prince of peace. As a church, we celebrated 18 years last month. And that's good. But here's the better thing. That after 18 years, I feel like we're just starting. And you you can only imagine after 18 years, there's been a lot of people in my world. And wherever there's people, there is opportunity to get hurt and upset. Can you, can you picture that? And here, here's the greatest miracle. Oh, we've had some great miracles. We've had some incredible healings take place. Even recently. But we don't advertise or get on Facebook with every little thing God does because I think it can become crass. There's some things that, there's some moments that Kath and I have that I'm not going to tell you about because they're precious to us. I'll tell you some things, but there's something I want to leave precious and personal. I think sometimes with the way we Facebook and we Twitter in the name of testifying, it just gets crass. I think we're more big noting ourselves than God. In actual fact, Peter Brown was amazed at some of the things that had taken place and hadn't even mentioned it. I think there's a place for that. I think there's a place to testify, but there's also a place to say, God, you're good. Thank you. And if no one else finds out about that, I want to say thank you. This is not make, make, make us look good. 
but you, thank you. So God is incredibly good, incredibly kind, incredibly gracious. And I say that to say this, I forgot what I was saying. That was just a little bit of banter and I, after 18 years, thank you, babe. Here's the greatest thing. Not all those great things that happen. After 18 years, I can stand before you and say this. I'm at peace with everyone. Not everyone may be at peace with me. But I can honestly stand before you and God and say there's a peace in my heart. Oh, there's some people who are really agitated that we're doing this bloke. I know, some of the religious community, that's fine. Don't dwell on that. Peace. It's a gift from God when He's the King. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel, for the most part, wasted their opportunity. They missed the day of God's visitation. They had the scriptures. In their heart of hearts, they would have said they're ready. Ready for anything, Lord. They were believing, they were desiring, they wanted the Messiah to come. But when he was there, they missed it because he didn't come in the packaging that they wanted. They didn't want some donkey on a donkey. They wanted something a little bit more Roman. A little bit more gold, please. A little bit more leadership, please. A little bit more front-footedness, please. A little bit more put the Romans in their place, please. Because Jesus would have none of that. They didn't recognize God incarnate. They didn't recognize the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God standing in the flesh before them. They wrote him off as the carpenter's son. Illegitimate child. We know about you. Call yourself the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. You're the naughty, naughty boy. Will you please stand with me? Because the next time we see this king, it's going to be radically different, people. Jesus is not coming back on a donkey. He's coming back on a white horse. And he's coming back all tattooed up. He's been to the ink shop in heaven. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has this name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is 
the Word of God, the unchanging, the everlasting, the consistent and the constant Word of God. The armies of heaven were following Him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on His robe and on on his thigh he has this name written he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords and he deserves praise honor glory and power now if you would please join with me and shout and praise and honor and give him glory this is the end of the message thank you for taking the time to listen and god bless you